0: Welcome to Amplify Your Process Safety, the podcast that provides the experience and expertise you need when it comes to process safety and risk management. Our hands-on approach will give you the insight needed, whether you're new to industry or process safety, in a role where you interact with aspects of process safety, or an experienced process safety professional. Join your hosts, Wesley Carter and Rob Bartlett in their mission to protect people, the companies they work for, and the communities where they operate by making process safety knowledge available to all. Welcome to the Amplify Your Process Safety Podcast. This is Wesley, and I'm with a special guest today, Elena. Elena, you've never been on our podcast, have you?
1: No, first time. Hello, everybody.
0: You've been yeah for the listening audience. You've been a member of the team now for what what I think you 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 messaged us on our our teams chat. Right? Yeah, this long, this morning, six months? six
1: months. You got it.
0: Six months today. I know. So we thought this is why we're celebrating. We have <laughs> you on the podcast on your sixth month. Nice. Yeah, your sixth month anniversary with the Amplify team. So I think the listening audience, you know, I think they've gotten you know if you've heard us before, um, we did an introductory episode, episode zero, where Rob and I both introduced ourselves. Um, But Elena, no one has had the privilege of knowing who you are. So why don't you give our listeners a quick introduction about yourself?
1: Mm -hmm. Sure. So my name is Elena Prats, and uh, I'm a chemical engineer. I'm from Barcelona, and um, I have an operations background. And I came here to the U.S. in 2012, starting working on process safety consultancy. And that's basically what I like. I like being able to help people and companies. Be safer, and with the help of this uh, podcast and uh, the work that we do, I think that's a goal for for us.
0: I think that's a good intro. You can also mention that you're really good at what you do. You've been <laughs> a valuable you've been a valuable addition to the team. We get great feedback about you, so um, I think you know what you're doing. So today's topic, what we're going to discuss, uh, is um, natural disaster preparedness. I think that there's been a lot of events historically. And some more recently that we're going to discuss, but what can you expect as key takeaways from this episode with respect to natural disaster preparedness is um, some past incidents related to natural disasters in you know, industrial facilities. And then the main thing is how to be prepared and some good resources, you know, some material that's been put out, um, I think is what we want to cover. So, Elena, why are we talking about this? You know, what's, you know, what's kind of our intro to the episode? I think there's some good information we can pull from.
1: So, yeah, Wesley, you're right. We're going to be talking about an article that was published by World Vision in September 2018, which mentions mentions causing about $125 billion in damage.
0: Billion. Billion.
1: Billion with a B. Harvey ranks as the second most costly hurricane to hit the U.S. mainland since 1900s. Adjusting for inflation, only $160 billion Again, with a B, Hurricane Katrina in 2005 caused more damage than Harvey. So these are huge numbers 125 billion and 160 billion for Hurricane Katrina.
0: Insane. You know, there's another part um, about how much rain was dumped. Mm -hmm. You know, the storm dumped more than 27 trillion. It's in the same article from World Vision, but the storm dumped more than 27 trillion gallons of rain over Texas, making Harvey the wettest Atlantic hurricane ever measured. Some parts of Houston received more than 50 inches of rainfall, so much that the National Weather Service had to update the colors it uses on its weather charts to properly account for it. With one third of Houston completely flooded, the weight of the water alone sank the city temporarily by two centimeters, almost an inch, according to a California geophysicist. That is, that's how much water was sitting on Houston. It actually dropped the city. Almost an inch mm-hmm. while that water was, you know, saturated. And then there was another uh, article that was written, came out in Live Science. Uh, this was more recent in May of 2020. A new paper published online May 18th in the Journal of Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences aims to change that. Studying a period of 39 years between 1979 and 2017, so roughly 40 years, looking at the full four decades span and normalizing their data in a certain way, the researchers found a clear trend. Storms are getting stronger in general and major tropical cyclones are coming more often. So between, you know, what you read, Elena, from the article mm-hmm. about, you know, Hurricane Harvey's damage, Hurricane Katrina's damage, how much rain was dumped during Hurricane Harvey, and then this, this article, there's a clear trend. Storms are getting stronger in general. You know, I, I think these are good things to pull from because um, I don't think it's going to be news to anyone tuning into, you know, this podcast that our natural disasters are getting more, you know, they're always serious. But the level recently, you know, and, you know, you can go into like it's climate change or whatever the causes are, regardless of what the causes are, a fact is, is they're getting more intense.
1: And we need to pay attention to them.
0: Yeah. So um, we want to talk about, you know, so what's been learned from some past incidents and some, some people were prepared. You know, I think we're going to talk about some of our experiences, you know, in industry and then also a major event that occurred recently um, and some, you know, some things we'll discuss there, but let's start with some successes. I think, you know, when it comes to natural disaster preparedness and, um, my first example is when, and you know, my, my first job out of school, I worked for a super major in oil and gas and I worked upstream and I was in East Texas. So this is around, um, you know, about three and a half hours North of Houston. Um, so you're still kind of in the path. Like if, you know, if there's a major storm, you know, things could kind of migrate, you know, North towards you, you could get high winds, a lot of rain, things like that. And in August of 2008, Hurricane Gustav um, formed in the Gulf, and it was predicted to be a pretty strong storm. And we knew the way things were trending, the way it was going, the closer it got to the coast, that the way it was going to come, we expected to get a lot of rain, and we expected to have high winds. And where we operated in East Texas at the time, we had a you know a little over a thousand well you know um, wells. We had you know central delivery points, you know gathering systems, stuff like that. And we knew that historically, when we got heavy rain, we could flood. And so we knew like, okay, if this happens and we need to go shut things in we're gonna be doing it in boats and we didn't want to do that <laughs> so we made the, we put this whole you know oh you know as this was forming in the Gulf we had a big meeting you know with the operations center you know all the team leaders and we made a plan and we said no nope, we're gonna go ahead and shut everything in and we're gonna be prepared well lo and behold Hurricane Gustav before it even hit land dropped to a category two And by the time it was on land it was a tropical you know depression storm and by the time it hit Longview, i mean i don't i don't know how much rain we got but it wasn't a lot it was like a normal storm and you know we all we put all that effort into closing all you know shutting in all our production and all that and we were like well you know we got a good exercise out of it and guess what happened two weeks later hurricane ike and hurricane ike when it came through it had the same path and because we had just exercised that plan we went and did it again and I'm so glad we did because not only did we do it kind of twice as fast, like, because we knew exactly where we needed to go shut things in. We, anything where we had trouble identifying, like if we had a poor map and we didn't know where a certain valve was, we had already gone through all that, like a lesson learned. And so we went and executed the same exact plan and Ike was devastating for East Texas. Tons of rain. I mean, my, me personally, my home, I didn't have power for seven days, Wow. seven days, you know? And so, I just remember, you know, for me, that was something nice early in my career where I was like, okay, I mean, this, this is tried and true. You have a plan, you drill on it. And then when you need to put it in place, you put the plan in place and we were successful, you know? so that's, that's kind of an experience I had. And Elena, I think you wanted to talk about something, you know, kind of your experience.
1: Yes. So basically it's about the um, Katrina uh, hurricane in August, 2005. That was uh, actually, I think it was like around a year after I started working at a petrochemical plant. And uh, due to the uh, Katrina hurricane, the plant in the U.S. had to shut down. They shut down without any issues. But the fact or um, the thing that got us all together as a team was that lack of supplies, lack of raw materials, and the fact that the hurricane Last for so long and a lot of sites uh, within the U.S. had to be shut down, that made us um, work as a complete team. And all the, the other polystyrene sites all over the world had to adjust their production rates basically to lower production rates to be able to send raw materials to the U.S. Because when the U.S. site started again, once it was safe, uh, they didn't have enough raw materials, as I mentioned before, and they yeah. needed the raw materials sent from Europe, or even from China, uh, by boat, like by like this big uh, barges. Are they called barge? <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, yeah, barge.
1: yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we had to adjust really production rate and work really as a team. Um, I mean, my experience, I was I did not have real experience during the hurricane itself or the shutdown. But it was more like daily meetings to ensure that the European sites were able to help the U.S. site. And I was really impressed on how well everybody interact and uh, how well we were able to keep up production rates based on the needs of polystyrene production at the time.
0: Oh, that's awesome. So it's like not only did y'all, you know, shut in, right, you know, to for the process, <laughs> but y'all were also thinking about supply chain exactly right you know how do you you know raw materials people around us are going to be affected exactly you know t- typical you know raw materials we bring to the facility you know those those supply chains are going to be interrupted and so not only did you think about you know i'll call it process critical you know safety stuff but you're also thinking about how do we sustain operations mm-hmm. you know it's probably something that you know a key thing you know and like you said it at Shell to work together as a team and coordinate you know to keep your business up op- you know um operational after the fact
1: mm-hmm. So it was a good experience right out of, out of school.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, like like I said, this was, this was right very early in my career when I had my experience and, you know, it's nice to have those. I know there's a lot of people that don't get the same benefit of getting some kind of experience like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but experience is the best teacher, you know, and that, and so I think between the both of us, we both understand, or, you know, I think that you and I both value being prepared for emergencies, right? You know, risk assessment. Exactly. Yep. So then more recently something we wanted to talk about before we set, you know, go into some uh some good information about being prepared. So I think everyone, you know, we talked about Hurricane Harvey in 2000, you know, late 2017 in Houston about just, you know, dropped the city of Houston in, you know, an inch, you know, what the amount of water that was there. But I was actually at um there was a, you know, a CSB video was released that you're going to talk a little bit about Elena. But I was a part of a um, organization that went through a pretty, you know, they had a bad experience. Um, the organization is Arkema. Um, I was a process safety engineer at the time. And I remember, you know, I'm not going to go into details because I know there's some stuff that's still, you know, that, that organization still going through. But I remember us getting prepared, you know, for that event, um, Harvey, you know, and I remember we had, I thought it was a pretty solid emergency response plan. Um, you know, I still think that. And we had, you know, we felt like we had a primary plan, a secondary pa- plan, a tertiary plan in case you know things failed. And I remember also something we were pulling on. I think everyone in the area was pulling on was historical information. And there was a tropical storm. It wasn't a it wasn't a hurricane, but a tropical storm um, in the you know mid two thousands that dropped something like fifty inches of water on Houston in thirty six hours. You know, fifty inches. You know, wow. we're talking you know over over you know. So nearly, you know, somewhere around, what what is that? Like a little, you know, in between 100 and 150 centimeters of rain um, in 36 hours that was dropped. And I remember they were saying that during that event, they only had in some places in the facility, they had water that was like, it wasn't even a foot. So there was standing water in some locations that was less than a foot. And I can tell you that after the event, um, when the, you know, the, we, they called it the, the ride out crew, there was a ride out crew that stayed on as critical operations during a storm. You know, they stayed the night, they had cots, they had food, you know, they had backup power and they were there just to make sure that if any, if they had to go through their primary, secondary, tertiary plans, all that other stuff, you know, typical stuff, I think in operations, you know, running 24 seven. Um, I remember the last person in the ride out crew when, you know, they, when they had to leave the site, they took a, you know, they called it a John boat, but a small boat with a trolling motor over the security fence. So this is a six foot fence with another foot of barbed wire. So that's how much water was in the plant. They took a boat over that fence, you know, so you're talking like over, over seven feet of water, um, was in that facility. So you talk about, you know, what was someone who felt they were pretty, you know, prepared for this type of event historically, you know, during a major event that dropped that much water. And I don't know if people remember, but that's, that's the kind of rain they were predicting during the storm was the same amount of rain. So, It was, you know, it was unfortunate the way things happened there. But I just remember, you know, my experience in that event, those are kind of some of my key takeaways. And so I'm sure, you know, for the listening audience, you may have seen um, there was a, you know, a CSB investigation um, into that event. And there was also and so they put out a video on a safety alert. And Elena, I think you were going to talk a little bit about that report that the video they put out kind of some key learnings that came out of it.
1: Yeah. So that came new on June 23rd, uh, the chemical safety board just issue a new video safety message and the safety alert that, uh, Wesley, you were mentioning. And basically the video just mentions or makes the audience think, um, how things are done and the kind of, um, guidance or lack of guidance in that case. So the first thing that the video mentions is that there's really lack of industry guidance on how to plan for flooding or some other severe scenarios or natural disasters. And it also mentions that it's not just a natural disaster that causes flooding. It also mentions um, any other type of natural disasters. There's also the um, flooding cost for a dam failure um, in Midland, Michigan, which also was um, huge, uh, which also had a a huge impact. And basically, due to all this industry guidance, lack of industry guidance, the uh, Chemical Safety Board just had a recommendation for the CCPS to kind of like put together some guidance. And they call it um, assessment of and planning for natural disasters or for natural hazards. And it's basically the CCPS monograph. And it mentions, we're going to go over this uh, later, Wesley, but the video also captures six things that I think it's worth mentioning today. So, basically, the first one is that it's a good practice for companies to include data about natural disasters in its process safety information. What does that mean? So, when we do PHAs or when we develop our process safety information, are we really capturing the fact of having a potential natural disaster that could lead to a safety hazard or a catastrophic event um i've i had a chance actually to be uh to facilitate a pha in tennessee and um believe it or not there was a tornado alert and we had to like stop the meeting because there was a tornado coming but <laughs> i was like <laughs> yeah, that really does not, that does
0: not sound like a it does not sound like a good time <laughs>
1: The conference room we were in was actually the shelter the tornado shelter so we had to stop the meeting oh, well, and everybody yeah. came in apparently
0: well at least you knew at least you knew you didn't have to go exactly
1: far. yes <laughs> so yeah. anyway it was a good experience um, not being part of a tornado <laughs> of course but yeah and uh, being able to capture or to cover during the pha the tornado as a natural disaster So it might not be applicable, uh, the tornado or earthquake applicable to all the regions. Everybody needs to understand where the location of the site and how the natural disasters might affect at that particular site. And also some other key points from the video is uh, there's some key lessons for facilities within areas which are susceptible to extreme weather. And that the facilities should perform an analysis to determine the susceptibility to potential extreme weather events, such as flooding, earthquakes, lightning strikes, and high winds. And in here, we also need to cover potential extreme weather conditions, such as hot temperatures or cold temperatures. Mm -hmm. Again, do we capture when we do the PHAs under low temperature low ambient temperature, it might not be applicable to somewhere in the Caribbean, but whatever.
0: <laughs> no, you're, you know, I don't want to steal your thunder while you're talking about this, but I was doing P. I did three PHAs, you know, for a client, uh, last fall. Mm-hmm. And we were, you know, when I typically, when I'm doing a deviation with, uh, ambient conditions and I put, you know, low temperature, um, you know, I, I do a lot of PHAs, you know, you know, West Texas, you know, New Mexico. Um, you you know, with the United States and it's not, it doesn't get very cold. You know, there's in New Mexico sometimes, but in Texas, definitely not. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I was doing these PHAs in North Dakota (laughs) and I, I remember, um, I was there in February of 2019 and I had never seen this in my life, but it was negative 37 degrees Fahrenheit. (laughs) Um, and my phone on my iPhone, it said freezing fog. And I was like, what freezing fog? you know, so, uh, anyways, I, I just want to interject there that that was my first time thinking about extreme events. It got really cold, you mm-hmm. know, um, you know, carbon steel. you know, typical carbon steel is good for negative 20, you know, minimum design metal temperature. Exactly. So I was like, Whoa. Oh, this is crazy. Exactly. Okay. Get, 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 go back <laughs> into it. I just thought that was a, yeah.
1: Yeah. Thanks for sharing. So yeah. Another topic, um, from the, from the video is that when we conduct the uh, process hazard analysis or even facility siting, we need to evaluate the potential risk of extreme weather events and the adequacy of the safeguards. So we keep adding all the safeguards uh, when we do the PHAs or when we do the facility siting studies. We take into account uh, the safeguards to evaluate the overall risk, but are these active and do these safeguards work in an extreme weather. So these are things that companies need to to think um, when developing PHAs or facility siting or or any kind of risk assessment, basically. Same with uh, when evaluating and mitigating the risk from extreme weather events, facilities should strive to apply a sufficiently conservative risk management approach. And finally, the sixth and last item mentioned on the video is that if flooding is the risk facilities must ensure that critical safeguards and equipment are not susceptible to failure by a common cause and that independent layers of protection are available in the event of high water levels
0: yeah i I know that that last you know you know that last item you covered about this common cause was definitely something i saw you know, when we had that high level water, mm-hmm. you know, you've got these three protection layers and I can, you know, I'll, I'll say that a common cause, you know, led to the failure of three, you know, protection layers simultaneously, you right. know, even a fourth, we, we threw a Hail Mary on you know, a fourth one, you know, with some portable refridge trucks and the reef, you know, the the refrigeration on them, they call them reefers. Uh, but the actual, you know, refrigerator sat like it had to be at least nine, nine feet in the air. But the problem was they were driven on diesel and the diesel tank was on the bottom of the trailer. Um, and so when the water came up, you know, it just flooded, you know, through the seal and the diesel became, you know, basically useless because it was, you know, saturated, you know, water got in and mixed with it, you know, and it became to where it was no longer a good fuel source, you know? Yeah. so.
1: Okay. So Wesley, let's talk about the, um, CCPS monograph, the, uh, assessment of and planning for natural hazards. This was, a. Um, document uh, that was prepared by the CCPS, the Chemical Center for Process Safety, the Center for Chemical Process Safety. It was published in 2019. And basically, there's six steps that um, the CCPS monograph covers. The first one is identify the hazards. And in here, in that step, what the monograph mentions is that in preparing for natural hazard events, We need to identify what the natural hazards are and that might occur at the facility. So we need to list all the uh, potential meteorological and geological hazards that could be applicable to the location where the site is.
0: And they mentioned, yeah, they mentioned some uh, resources, right, to help you get some of that site-specific info, Mm -hmm. right?
1: Yep. And again, we don't have to, if we're doing a PHA, for example, we don't have to go through all the potential natural disaster deviations, if they're not applicable, but at least know exactly based on the location, which kind of hazards we might have. And then the next um, step, step number two is uh, gather the data. So once the potential natural hazards uh, relevant to the facility have been identified, the next step would be to gather that data. And so there's some resources uh, that the CCPS mentions And you can either take a look at these resources where you can find the podcast or if you look at the CCPS monograph, but basically this data might be used in evaluating facility design in relation to natural hazards, assessing the risk, preparing the uh, emergency planning response. That's also key in terms of how the um, evacuation or escape routes need to be defined Depending on if there's potential for flooding, you don't want to tell people to go into the direction in which you're going to be, there's going to be flooding. Right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Our escape path is uh, underwater. (laughs) Where's my boat?
1: Exactly. (laughs) So it's important basically that uh, the data that's gathered from these resources is specific again to the site location. Let's see. What's step number three. Step number three is identify equipment. To be addressed in natural hazard assessments. So, in here, we need to list and understand which are the equipment or the operation uh, that's required for safe operations, or that, if compromised, could lead to a process safety event or catastrophic event, yeah. in which we can we could even harm um, people or the community, the environment. So. That is the third step is also the key point once we've gathered all the data and we've identified uh, the potential natural hazard disasters, uh, the identifying which are the equipment that are going to help us during an emergency and the fact of how this natural disaster might affect them. That's a uh, key in order for us to, to be properly prepared.
0: Okay. So there's, you know, so you went through the first three and there's six, mm-hmm. yep. right? In this monograph. And so this is all really good, right, for our listening audience, because you know, this is kind of a a nice roadmap, right. That they put together. Like if you, you know, addressing it and, you know, step four is they said, you've, you know, so you've identified the hazard step one, you've gathered data in step two, step three, identify the equipment to be addressed in the natural hazard assessment. And then step four, they say, now do an evaluation against design criteria, you know, and they break that into three things. Um, one, you know, step I'll call it 4.1 is bring the equipment operation up to the design criteria. So, um, You know, what's your design, you know, what's your, you know, this is your baseline. Now that you've got all this information, if we're going to build a new facility in the same location, let's make sure we meet whatever our design criteria is, you know, on new projects. And if, and if you've also identified any gaps on existing equipment, determine if they can be modified to meet whatever your design criteria is. And then the other, you know, step four, two is to conduct a risk assessment. You know, so what's the damage from a natural hazard on the facility? You know, what are the consequences, you know, you know, not just limited to, you know, occupational safety, but process safety, you know, personnel, community, and environment. And then what's the estimate, the frequency or likelihood of the consequences. Um, so, the, and they've, you know, what's nice in that CCPS document is they provide a template as an example of what you can use. It's really straightforward, um, but it's a good template for conducting your risk assessment. And then the other part about the evaluating its design criteria, the third part of it is to um, your natural hazard emergency response plan. Take into consideration the assessment you, you just performed and make sure you you have a natural hazard emergency response plan or if you didn't have it in your existing emergency response plan make a section there that lines up with uh, Everything you've just done and then after you've gone through evaluating design, you need to have somewhere in your plan It's not just you know everything that led up to it and you did it. How do you recover? Right. So after you know, you've gone through a disaster What are your recovery steps and they've got lots of stuff in there about, you know, um, secure making sure everything's secure, you know, so as soon as services are available and it's safe to do so activate as many security systems as possible are there critical repairs that might have to be made before you bring the process on after what happened you know you did the best plan but maybe something else happened um, make sure that you train or refresh your employees on stuff during recommissioning you know if you've been running this facility you know in one way of operating and now you've done some critical repairs or you maybe had to make some modifications because of it make sure everyone understands that you're going through this is a restart up, it's a recommissioning of the facility and you know i remember one of our facilities that got some substantial flooding you know we didn't have a process safety event you know this was when i was in in 2016 but we had to upgrade some of we went ahead and took advantage and upgraded some of our equipment right at the time because it was damaged we weren't going to put out some old archaic you know equipment so you know required some some training um and sometimes during those activities you know you gotta you know your staff you may have to staff the facility a little more than normal with not only your personnel but also contract you know personnel to help you you know so make sure you coordinate that almost like a turnaround um, you know and then there's about locating employees make sure you can reach out you know you can get a hold of them um, I remember you know that was something we did um you know is everyone okay is everyone you know because you think about they work at the facility what how what happened at their house right you know were they flooded there right can they get there? Things like that. Uh, make sure you can arrange for lodging and transportation as needed. You know, maybe your critical control room was damaged, and you can, you know, relocate everything to a trailer, right? So make sure you have a solid plan for recovery. That's step five, and the last part is recommissioning, step six. Um, it should be as, as comprehensive as your initial startup plan. Like I said, you, you know, you you've had maybe water or high winds that knocked a tower down or knocked down your key, you know, power make, you know, think about all the things you do in initial, you know, commissioning for a facility, like where you look at, you do your loop checks, you know, are all my critical safety devices working? You know, all of my things I rely on to operate the facility, right? Um, you need to have a solid recomm- recommissioning plan or startup plan um, with checklist and make sure all your operational safety systems are functional. And so that CCPS monograph, Elena, I know that you put together um, kind of a write-up on that, that we'll, you know, we'll release to our listening audience um, about, you know, kind of a I think it's a relatively short document you know i think it's like what like 17 pages or something like that the monograph and then i think you know what we'll put out is kind of more short and sweet like Yes. you know yeah but it's a really good you know i think that you know it's a really good document the way it was put together about if you have an emergency response plan about a path you can follow to look at the natural hazards you have you know the step step step-by-step process you can follow to update it and whether it's validating that your emergency response plan is really good or it's used to improve and you know, a response plan or I hope not <laughs> maybe it's used to develop your first emergency response plan, right? For natural hazards. Um, so
1: good stuff. Yeah, it's all, all good. Um, the, um, I think there's, and I, I hate to say this in terms of we sometimes need to wait for something bad to happen to get, yep. Yeah, absolutely. To get things started. So it's a starting point. I think um, companies are more susceptible now to potential um, natural disasters. And the fact that we have the um, Chemical Safety Board video and the CCPS monograph and some other resources listed there and available, that's going to be very helpful for for companies moving forward to adapt, change and improve what they currently have, which is the, the goal basically.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you bring it home, Elena? You know what, you know, in summary for our listening audience.
1: Yes. So I would like to say that um, natural disasters are usually increasing in frequency right now and intensity. And as you mentioned before, it might be because of climate change or whichever the reason. There's more and more natural disasters and maybe the severity or intensity is bigger than what it used to be. And so we need to be ready for that. And our plants and uh, companies need to be um, not only ready, but to, in paper <laughs> and having like nice procedures, <laughs> but also ready yeah. to, to react when needed. And as a reminder, I think it's not just flooding or earthquakes. It's also, as we mentioned, the uh, extreme weather conditions, either hot weather or cold weather, and sometimes combination of them. Because um, in 2011, I think it was the uh, Fukushima, um, disaster, they were prepared for earthquake, for a huge earthquake, but not for a tsunami after the earthquake. Yeah, And that's what was really devastating. So it's just these things and uh, the lessons learned from previous accidents, what we need to, to keep in mind. And also um, to finalize, I think we need to do better when we do process hazard analysis, it's very, it's a very, very important task to be done as a team. And not just to check the box, we've completed the PHA, it's done, we'll, we're going to do it quickly. The information that we get from the PHA, the discussions and the type of deviations and uh, level of severity of the consequences, that's key to be prepared for natural disasters uh, like, like this ones that we've been discussing so far. So I encourage the audience to take a look at the PHAs that you've done and see if you're able to, if you already captured some of the natural disasters or potential natural events that you might have in in the site. And if you haven't, either just go ahead and update quickly a generic note being just natural disaster or however you want to address it, but make sure that it's done.
0: I think that's really good. Um, you know, and that's an, you know, whether you're doing like a one-off, like emergency response plan update, you know, following the monogram, but I think like you said, check your PHAs and then also you've got the team together, right? You've got the team together when you're looking at, you know, if you're going to get back together, like if you haven't addressed it, you know, you're going to update your PHA or you start incorporating it in your process. When you do PHAs, you've got the team together, you know, now you've got this step-by-step process you can follow. It seems like a great time, you know, to to bring, you know, to put that in and update your process hazard analysis. But I think that's, I like what you said there about encouraging, you know, people to to make that a part of their PHA process. Mm -hmm. So I think we're going to provide links in the show notes for some of the resources we mentioned and maybe some other resources that are are pretty valuable. You know, some write-ups, like, you know, what you said about the, uh, you know, the tsunami event in Fukushima, Mm -hmm. which was, I think a lot of people are familiar with. Uh, so we'll provide links in the show notes. And then I think, you know, as always, uh, we, we thank our listening audience for tuning into the Amplify Your Process Safety Podcast. Um, this is Wesley saying, um, until next time.
1: And this is Elena. Thank you very much for listening to my first podcast. <laughs> I was really excited. Yeah. <laughs> and I hope yeah, you liked you it. Uh, we're, as Wesley said, we're going to share some information in the show notes. And um, thank you for for listening. Until the next time.